This week, we talk about the wonders of ayahuasca, the concept of sacred reciprocity, and why everyone is so depressed and what to do about it. Coming up next on Critical Grass. Get it, man, and get with the countdown. Shake this square world and blast off for Kicksville. Critical Grass. It's stimulating, mind-expanding, safer to use than alcohol. It's the in thing, the hula hoop of the jet generation, and as much a part of growing up as smoking corn silk behind the back fence. Critical Grass. He's looked at both the pros and cons of blowing pot. He's not convinced that grass is all that harmful, but there is room for a lot of doubt. Why don't we wait and see? There's a lot of testing to be done before we'll know all the facts. Critical grass. Madison Margolin. I am from California originally, and I am a journalist specializing in psychedelics and cannabis, and I am also the co-founder of Double Blind Magazine. Groovy, trippy, bassy, different. Well, that was a track by One Mind titled Collected Consciousness. That's right, we're venturing into somewhat different territory on this week's episode. So far, we've exclusively dealt with the cannabis plant in its many forms, whether medicinal, industrial, recreational, and so on. But did you know that in the right form and amount, cannabis can also have psychedelic effects? It's true. And for that reason, we spoke to Madison Margolin, the managing editor and co-founder of Double Blind, a print magazine and digital media company at the forefront of the rapidly growing psychedelic movement. The magazine has contributors all around the world, and they cover stories from ayahuasca tourism in South America to the microdosing trend taking California and the U.S. by storm, as well as the groundbreaking research at leading universities throughout the country. Double Blind presents its reporting in visually compelling long-form features, but they also do poetry, art, and photo essays. Apart from her work at Double Blind, Madison has also written about Judaism, culture, policy, and science for outlets like Rolling Stone, Vice, Playboy, and High Times, just to name a humble few. With cannabis being legalized in more and more places around the world and the stigma surrounding it slowly fading away, people have been coming out of the proverbial grow closet, and discussing or getting info on cannabis these days is just a few simple mouse clicks away. However, psychedelics are also making a bit of a resurgence, yet it's much more difficult to find as many psychedelic journalists, publications, reports, documentaries, etc., so there still is a lot left to be discovered about their use and users. Now, Madison and her double-blind colleagues are here to help exactly with that. So how does one get into psychedelics? Madison shares her story. 
I kind of grew up in the cannabis space. Uh, my dad's a criminal defense lawyer who specializes in marijuana cases. So, you know, growing up, I would spend time, you know, at his office and I got to meet a lot of his clients actually who were growers and dealers and kids my age, um, half the time who, you know, got busted. And I, so I saw kind of growing up really like the injustices of the drug war, right? Like, you know, kids who were black and brown, basically, who are just always getting getting in trouble for, for petty pot cases, and it was ridiculous. And so, um, you know, my dad was always um, campaigning for marijuana legalization uh, in various different different ways, like he ran for office and, um, you know, as part of normal and all of that, normal is the national organization for the reform of marijuana laws. So you could say that cannabis was always a family value, so to speak. Um, and then psychedelics, <clears throat> you know, my parents also were very much um, part of the counterculture, you could say. And my dad um, also had ended up defending Timothy Leary on a on a case where he got busted for weed and escaped from prison. And it was this whole drama. And, my, you know, my dad got caught up in the middle of it, um, mainly because he was introduced to Leary through the. Um, the Ramdas community. Um, so Ramdas being Richard Alpert, who was a psychedelic researcher basically at Harvard, um, who worked with Leary, and the two of them got kicked out for going too far um, with their experimentations. And so the, that that was the community growing up, and very much like the culture that I was raised in was informed by by psychedelics, by cannabis, by sort of this Jewish rebellion. Um, and that, like that, I, you know, it wasn't like I came into contact with it. It was just the fabric of what I, I knew from when I was a kid until now. Um, but I mean, myself personally, like I didn't really, it was almost a joke. My parents wouldn't let me smoke weed until I got a medical marijuana card when I was 18. Though I did, though a boyfriend did, um, did have me, introduce me to weed before I was 18. And, um, and I also, you know, it's not like people were tripping or doing or smoking weed in front of me so much. The adults were still trying to pretend like they were adults. Um, but I I got really interested academically in psychedelics and was reading a lot of Huxley and um, I, I basically read every every book you could read about it. And I did a whole research paper on psychedelics like my freshman year at Berkeley and. Then I was like, all right, I did the research. I'm gonna do mushrooms now and it was one of the best days of my life and just stuck with me. And so that's sort of why I've pursued um, cannabis and psychedelic and to an extent Jewish and spiritual journalism um, to as an excuse really to just pursue the things that I'm interested in. I'd be talking to these people anyway, so I might as well get paid for it. And that's what I'm doing. Cannabis as a family value, not a bad family value to have. But you could also lump psychedelics into that category as well, considering they were both part of the same counterculture that took off in the 1960s. And having connections to Timothy Leary is a testament to that. Now, those of you who don't know who Timothy Leary was, he used to say things like this. We tell young people today, drop out of school, because school's education today is the worst narcotic drug of all. Don't politic. Don't vote. These are old men's games. Impotent and senile old men that want to put you onto their uh, old chess games of war and power. Drop out. Uh, tune in with natural things. Take off your shoes. 
get back in tune with God's harmony. Surround yourself with beauty and sacred objects. You can't get caught in the conforming, rote, lockstep, which we call American society. He was also called the most dangerous man in America by disgraced former President Tricky Dicky Richard Nixon, who also hated all things cannabis. Now, Leary was not just some random hippie proponent of psychedelic use. He was a clinical psychologist at Harvard University who went on to become a well-known figure of the counterculture itself, and the reason why he was deemed so dangerous by governments all around the world. After all, he did end up seeing the inside of as many as 36 prisons across the globe. His egregious crime was encouraging people to think for themselves and question authority. Now, if you do so, you're less likely to obey and you become that much more difficult to govern, and that is precisely what authority doesn't like. And they also really don't like it when you share such viewpoints with your friends and neighbors and encourage them to do the same. So Madison got an early start on expanding her consciousness by way of her family, and as a result, she's become one of the lucky few that gets to write about their passions and earn a living. Well, speaking of her job, what does Double Blind exactly aim to do? So Double Blind is a biannual print magazine and digital media company, so we come out with our issues um, generally around June and December of each year. We just published our third issue. Um, and we also publish content on the website every single day. So um, you can you can again read it, read it in person or you know read it live and then um, read it online. And the content is different. And then we also have online courses. So we just released um, a course on how to grow mushrooms. Uh, we're going to be coming out with a more advanced version of that course. We're also going to be coming out with a course on psychedelics 101. So sort of helping people prepare for navigate integrate their psychedelic experiences, choose what kind of medicine they want to work with. Um, we also, pre-COVID, we had a lineup of events that we were going to be doing, but now we've kind of put a few of those online. So here and there we'll have webinars. We did something on um, intimacy and psychedelics. Uh, we did another one on sort of breath work at the beginning of COVID, um, kind of as people were transitioning into this weird time. Um, and we also have an e-commerce section. So we're selling drug testing kits. Um, you know, part of our mission is to support artisan boutique, um, uh, you know, small small business owners in the plant medicine space. So we, we're selling kava. Um, we you know we collaborated with someone to make an essential oil for Double Blind. Um, yeah, I, I think that kind of covers it. The courses, the content, the magazine. And the few things that you can you can buy on on our website. Well, I would really say that we're building a community, and like you know, our mission really is to tell deep, um, honest, you know, kind of kaleidoscopic stories about psychedelics, and really show like who this community is. So the people, you know, our our audience is not the people who are are already psychedelic experts, right? And our audience also is not are not the people who, who don't care about psychedelics at all. We're not trying to convert anybody, and we're also not trying to, like, keep up with the, with the, the deepest of the psychonauts. Um, but, you know, really, the, say the, say you read an article on Vice, and, you know, you keep reading the, the psychedelic articles on Vice or Rolling Stone or something. You're like, you know what, I want to kind of go somewhere that's dedicated to psychedelics, but not um, not for someone who's, like, too deep state, so to speak. That's really like who we're who we're speaking to. And so I see that everything that we're doing really um, allows for the audience to engage at certain levels. So whether they want to like put their phone away for two hours and read the magazine 
or if they, you know, want sort of the psychedelics 101 education, they can sign up for a course. Um, you know, our online content obviously keeps people in the loop about, um, you know, like how, what are all the different, uh, species of mushrooms out there or, um, what's the latest with the current like policy in Oregon, um, which is proceeding with, uh, a number of actually decriminalization and legalization policies relating to all drugs and psychedelics. So, you know, we're really just trying to, um, illuminate the space for people who are curious about it, especially, you know, as we're seeing more mainstream media like Michael Pollan's book or, um, you know, kind of just the fact that these are becoming um, a bigger conversation topic in the news that we want to have a, a place where people can learn about it. So essentially, Double Blind is kind of a one-stop shop for information on psychedelics for the inexperienced and or curious. And you can expect this type of interest to keep growing for a good while, especially with psychedelics now entering the mainstream thanks to best-selling authors such as Michael Pollan or thanks to documentary films such as Have a Good Trip on Netflix, which features celebrities and their experiences while tripping so-called billies. Now, much information on what psychedelics to take, how to take them, where they come from, how to prepare for trips, and so on, is desperately needed, and up until now, it was mostly obscure and perhaps dubious internet forums that provided the bulk of such material. But with the stigma fading and people becoming desperate for help on the psychiatric or mental front, especially considering what is going on in the world right now, a reliable source of information or instruction and guidance is worth its weight in gold. Now, with the new era of psychedelic use taking shape, you naturally have new terminology coming into use, such as psychonaut. Madison explains what it means and takes to be one. I would consider a psychonaut to be not only one who does a psychedelic, but is like a um, experienced with psychedelics um, and knows a lot about them and is really passionate about them. And I don't even know if I consider myself a psychonaut really, you know, like, to, compared to the average person, I have way more experience with psychedelics, but compared to the people who who really, you know, have really intimate relationships with the medicine for decades, like, I'm, I'm not really there yet. I don't, I don't, I don't have decades on me to, to even have that relationship. Um, so I'm still on my own path as well as far as developing relationship with different types of psychedelics. It's like cannabis, right? Like, and, you know, the word stoner has become controversial, but um, at what point do you know you're a cannabis enthusiast, that you you know all the different strains that you love, like you've tried all the different ways of consuming it, um, you have just an intimate, varied relationship with it? Um, you know, psychedel psychedelics are not just one plant like cannabis, so it's a little bit different, but, you know, you've, you know, you're just, you're so familiar and intimate with the psychedelic space, um, like that sort of mental channel. Um, I think you, you, when, you know, when you know, you know, sort of. So being a psychonaut isn't about becoming a shaman necessarily. As Madison herself admits, she still has a ways to go before calling herself a full-fledged psychonaut, if there even is such a thing. After all, there are no degrees or certified online courses in psychedelics just yet. So if anything, it's more of a drawn-out process. A verb, if you will. And like Madison says in reference to cannabis, you don't become a stoner or canna enthusiast after trying it once or twice. It's a process that could take months, if not years, but when you do finally become one, you're fully aware of it. Another thing about being a psychonaut is that you aren't limited to just one type of plant. There are many different kinds out there, and each one provides a very different and unique experience. Mushrooms work differently than LSD, which is different from peyote, which is different from MDMA, and so on. 
And one of the most talked about psychedelics in recent years, thanks to the likes of Doug Stanhope and Joe Rogan, is DMT, which is contained in ayahuasca. Madison explains what this is and how it's taken. Okay, so ayahuasca is actually a brew. It's made from two plants, one of which contains DMT and um, the other, which acts as an MAOI, like a MAO inhibitor. So basically, it keeps your body from fully breaking down the DMT so that it lasts longer and, you know, you have an ayahuasca experience versus, you know, your, your short DMT experience, which um, if you've done DMT, you know what that's like. Um, so, yeah, so ayahuasca usually, I mean, almost always, I can't imagine honestly taking ayahuasca that's not in a ceremonial setting. It's just like that kind of experience. So you do it with a facilitator or a shaman or a medicine person, however you want to call it. Um, and generally they would be singing um, specific songs and the songs themselves are part of the healing, um, especially in the South American traditions, they're called Icaros, um, I-C-A-R-O-S. Um, and they're, again, they're very specific to the ayahuasca journey. Um, I've sat in, in ceremonies myself where people were not singing specifically those songs, but songs that were more um, familiar to their own like heritage and traditions. Um, so it's not required, but again, People, you know, people have very different opinions on like the way the best practices around ayahuasca. Um, but, you know, just to give you the, the lay of the land there, are, of course, the ayahuasca um, retreats that you can go on in uh, in South America. And then there it's, of course, happening everywhere else, too, you know, from Brooklyn to L.A. to, you know, everything. Um and the, the, again, the legitimacy of the of all of it is really what people need to investigate it before they um, before they sign up for a ceremony. In contrast to DMT that Joe Rogan likes to talk about, ayahuasca is not something you do a shot of and go out with your friends to paint the town red. Given the effects of the substance and its origins in the Amazon basin, it is highly recommended you go through the experience in a very specific setting with a guide over the course of several days, which means it isn't really a party drug or something that you take for shits and giggles. Yeah, I can't imagine taking ayahuasca and going to a party. It's just, I mean, you, I mean, theoretically you could, you know, like it, but it's just not, it's just not done. And it would, it would be seen as probably a, a huge sort of disrespect to the, to the plant you're often throwing up a lot of the time also um which is it's called purging and it you know it has to do also with the healing process but people i wouldn't say you you would go to an ayahuasca ceremony to have a fun time uh you might have a great time but you might also have a really difficult experience and that's sort of part of the it it, it is medicine it feels like medicine and you're you're in for that kind of treatment but there there is this concept among um among uh in south america called aini a-n-a-y-n-i it's sacred reciprocity and it's this idea that like what, what you put out into the world you sort of get back um it's kind of like karma but not not exactly it's just that like when you do good for the world of course you are part of the world too so you're you're doing good for yourself and everything else and I think that's something that really needs to be at the forefront of people's minds when they are going to South America and consuming not just ayahuasca, but consuming somebody's culture and traditions. And, um, you know, it's, it's sociocultural tourism to an extent. And, you know, 
calling it what it is, but then also engaging with it in a responsible, respectful way, I think is what's going to elevate the, the ayahuasca tourism industry. As much fun as it would be to see a bunch of fake, superficial, bottle-service douchebags keel over and get their puke on in front of scantily clad women they're trying to impress, it would be a complete waste of medicine and a huge disrespect to the substance, which, by many people, is regarded as a sacred spiritual healing process, and is sometimes referred to as the vine of the soul. Madison refers to it as sociocultural tourism, but you can also make the claim that it is a form of medical tourism, as the aim, ultimately, is to address issues that ail you internally, though not necessarily physically. And indeed, many ayahuasca retreats have sprung up all over the world, North America and Europe included, to which people flock for a variety of reasons, one of which is, of course, mental health. Now, one mental health issue on the rise in recent decades in particular has been depression, which is evidenced by all the antidepressant pharmaceuticals being ruthlessly marketed and sold to the general public. Which leads to the question, why is everyone so depressed in the first place these days? <laughs> why is everyone so depressed? Because they're lonely. Um, they're disconnected from like themselves and community and higher power and their families. Um, you know, Julie Holland, she's a psychiatrist from New York, just wrote an amazing book called Good Chemistry. Um, I think it was the science of connection from psychedelics to soul or from soul to psychedelics. Um, and she talks about this and basically how people are so isolated and disconnected and being in this mode of isolation and loneliness puts you in the sympathetic nervous system mode, which is this fight or flight state. And your body is not functioning correctly at that point. You know, you you are you fall you fall prey to you know issues regarding inflammation or um, it has an effect on your physical health basically. Um, whereas if you're in the parasympathetic state, um, which is the opposite of fight or flight, you're you're relaxed. You you are in a place where your body can repair itself. Um, it's it's when you're around people you love or you're meditating or doing yoga or dancing or whatever, whatever it is. And I think that psychedelics can also sort of help us um, connect with ourselves and connect with other people and also feel more connected to the world around us. Um, there's this thing that psychedelics have psychedelic scientists have identified as the quote unquote mystical experience, um, which is a set of criteria that, basically qualify you for having had a, an encounter with a, a higher being or, um, you know, the universe or God or whatever you want to call it. Um, and one of the criteria is the sense of oneness. Um, and that's like feeling connected to, you know, knowing that we're all sort of the same matter and really feeling that in an embodied way. Um, and so that I think has a lot to do with why psychedelics are so um, helpful for, for a range of issues, but especially when we're talking about depression and loneliness, um, that's where they can be very helpful. In 2015, British author Johan Hari published a book titled Chasing the Scream, The First and Last Days of the War on Drugs, in which he claimed that the reason people use drugs and become addicts is because they're looking for a connection that they couldn't find anywhere else in their lives. He claimed that happy, healthy, spiritually connected individuals generally don't fall into the trap of addiction as they don't see a need for altering their reality. They have everything they need already and aren't looking for an escape. He also used the example of Rat Park, a little rodent paradise where rats had all their basic needs covered. So food, sex, exercise, and so on. They had the option of drinking pure water and water spiked with cocaine. 
The happy rats in Rat Park almost never drank the cocaine water. However, the rats in cages without any friends or exercise wheels almost always did. And human beings aren't that different, it turns out. Psychedelics, which aren't addictive, can actually help people get past the feeling that they are alone and disconnected, hence the feeling of oneness and so-called ego death. So what is it about pharmaceuticals that makes them ineffective for things like depression and other mental conditions? Pharmaceuticals are something you have to take every single day, right? So, you know, whether it's like Prozac or Wellbutrin or, you know, whatever your anxiety or depression medication is, you're you're on a regimen where you're just, you're in it, you're, you're doing it day in, day out. Um, psychedelics are not meant to be taken every day. Again, microdosing is a little bit of a different story. Um, and again, there are people who don't believe in microdosing for different reasons. Um, but if we're, if we're talking about a classic psychedelic trip, um, you take a regular dose, the idea, you're not doing that all the time. You have your insights, you go through the journey and then you, you integrate that and you're not relying on the medicine, um, regularly, uh, to just keep you stabilized. Um, you're really kind of going to the root of what's bothering you and the sort of the, the underlying traumas that, that are giving you back pain even, or um, kind of keeping you from being, um, from stepping into your fullest expression. Like I had an experience, just to give an example, I have scoliosis and I've always had this creak in my back. Like I just always felt like it was just there and I like had to, I could never, um, always felt like I needed to crack it basically and I was always aware of it. And um, I did acid uh, back in January and it just, I, the, all the, any pain from scoliosis just went away, like, like that. And, you know, it was probably like some sort of energetic, um, like, block uh, that needed to be moved and the acid helped me move it. People have seen that psychedelics can have anti-inflammatory properties. So on the physical level, that could be part of it. But generally speaking, also, like if you have a if you trauma lives in the body. Right. So if you have unresolved something, it it's it has a physical effect on you and it, it does. It is somewhere, you know, it's not only in your head. I mean, it's in your head and it's in the body. And I think what psychedelics are are so why they're so powerful is that they allow us to really like get into to um, to work with the mind body duality and um, experience healing in an embodied way. Many people incorrectly think that the body is just a fleshy machine made up of interchangeable parts. One thing hurts, you take a pill or you use some substance to make the pain go away in that particular spot, or cut it out of your body and throw it away with the hopes of physically getting rid of it. But this method doesn't actually treat the root of the problem, only the symptom. And that's what pharmaceuticals are designed to do. If you remove the root of the problem, the problem eventually goes away, which means you don't need to take any more pharmaceuticals, which means pharmaceutical companies lose their customer base. You can see now why they engage in so much ruthless marketing as well as anti-psychedelic propaganda, especially for cannabis. Now, a lot of people don't necessarily associate cannabis with psychedelics, but Madison explains why the two can be lumped together. Yeah, I mean, cannabis is a psychedelic, I would say. I mean, not not all the time, but to an extent, um, I've definitely tripped on edibles for sure. Um, <laughs> I've had stronger experiences with edibles than I have with mushrooms, <laughs> and sometimes accidentally. 
But yeah, I would say that cannabis is a little bit of a gateway plant, um, not to not to um, promote the gateway theory too much. But it is a it is a mild psychedelic, and if you are curious about psychedelics, it might you might want to start with cannabis, um, and then just sort of see how you handle that. Um, that said, I really do not like cannabis edibles; they make me anxious. Like if you told me that you know, oh, I, I I would not be ready for mushrooms if I can't handle an edible. Like I don't think that's true because I can't really handle an edible very well. I mean, I, nowadays I, I figured it out. Um, I don't freak out as much as I used to 10 years ago. But um, I would say that, you know, it's a plant medicine and it opens you up to what are the other plants out there that are also going to, to help me heal or just kind of get through the day. Um, and so, again, ayahuasca, mushrooms, I guess, are a fungi, not a plant. Um, uh, peyote... Um, and even LSD is derived from the ergot mushroom. So you realize this whole plant world, um, cannabis is just one of many. Um, and it's it's considered what people call an entheogen, which is a, a substance that you take that um, evokes a, a spiritual experience. So LSD can be an entheogen. MDMA on some levels can be an entheogen. So it's not just... Um, naturally occurring uh but again you know the whole sort of psychedelic sphere the idea is that you might have an encounter with more you know uh um, with spirit um so yeah cannabis is is like a baby step for that so that cannabis has for as far as legalization goes has set sort of the tone for psychedelics so cannabis is just a little bit ahead of the psychedelic movement um you know we saw state by state different states enacting decriminalization or medical marijuana policies and now we're also seeing different localities decriminalizing psilocybin or you know all naturally occurring theogens um and a lot of people from the cannabis space have been helpful in the psychedelic campaigns and again the psychedelic space is sort of looking to cannabis as a, a role model or an example of how it how it went the gateway theory that states cannabis leads to harder drugs such as cocaine meth and heroin has been for the most part debunked however to echo madison cannabis does open up people to other plant medicines which would explain why so many people who are into psychedelics also generally like cannabis so it turns out spirituality is the sort of hidden link that ties psychedelics together and distinguishes them from pharmaceuticals made in a lab somewhere. Now, in addition to being slowly accepted by mainstream America, psychedelics are being promoted for daily use in the form of microdosing, which is nothing more than taking a fraction of what a standard adult dose would be, but on a regular basis, as opposed to taking a strong dose every now and then. Now, this trend is picking up steam all over as it provides many of the same benefits as a standard dose without the intense mental experience that would normally keep people from being productive. However, depending on the substance, it could be a little daunting at first to try and figure out how much is a microdose and how often to take one. Madison explains where to go to get informed. Yeah, Fadiman, the Fadiman method, F-A-D-I-M-A-N. He is sort of the, um, go, go, to, go to his website if you want it if you want to know how to microdose basically, but there's generally this idea like one day on two days off, one day on two days off. Um, meaning that you take your microdose. It depends what it is. Um, you know, with LSD, it might be something like 10 micrograms, um, or less, uh, with mushrooms, it could be up to 
a quarter of a gram or less. The idea is for a microdose to be sub-perceptible. So you aren't actively aware, you don't, you don't feel like you're tripping, you don't feel like you're high. Maybe you feel a little bit lifted, so to speak, a little bit more capable, on point, creative, um, detached from like, you know, the, the stress of whatever you're dealing with in a day. Um, but it, it essentially like people say it's dipping your toes into the psychedelic experience. Um, I think it's just a nicer alternative than coffee or Adderall or something like that. Perhaps someday, when the stigma surrounding psychedelics completely disappears, we'll get to see little mushroom lounges or acid bars where you can go in, tune in, turn on, and drop out for a short little while, and then go on with the rest of your day. But we're still a ways away from that sort of scenario. Cannabis stigma in places like the West Coast of the U.S. is fading fast, and you could say the same for many other parts of the country. You might even say cannabis has been sort of the spearhead for destigmatization of plant medicine. Just look at all the places decriminalizing psilocybin mushrooms at a rapid pace. The mushroom people don't have to go through the same hurdles as the cannabis people, as those hurdles have already been dealt with, but some stigma still remains. Madison explains what the situation is currently like. Yeah, I would say there's actually surprisingly less stigma than, than you might think. So cannabis is sort of so prolific within the, within the culture, uh, within mainstream culture already, that people, even if they don't have a relationship with, with cannabis, they kind of have these maybe stigmatizing stereotypes of the lazy stoner or stuff like that. Psychedelics haven't really been as part of the mainstream, and I think people just have less familiarity with them. Um, I do think there is a lot of holdover a stigma from the 60s and, you know, the counterculture gone wrong and LSD is going to make you lose your mind and Timothy Leary being labeled as the most dangerous man in America. And so you still have people who are afraid of specifically LSD, I think, is the main one that people need to come to terms with and like re-image. Um, but Surprisingly, you know, especially when we, you know, with these campaigns, decriminalize nature to decriminalize and uh, naturally occurring entheogens, and also we saw uh, Denver decriminalized uh, psilocybin, there hasn't been a ton of resistance. Um, there hasn't, and there hasn't been a lot of stigma against against what they're doing. Um, and I'd say also that you know there is a large um, investor community who are now looking at psychedelics as sort of this new frontier of medicine and you have a lot of startups um, and nonprofits that are looking into drug development based on psychedelics and you know that's that shows that there's not really so much stigma actually I have a friend who she also um, she I went to um, like a, a Shabbat dinner with her um, older people, very conservative, um, you know, it's like friends with the grandparents or something. And we both work in the psychedelic space. And she, um, she described what she does. And she's like, I work for um, an organization that's looking into medicines that are going to heal trauma. And when you phrase it like that, rather than I work for, you know, I, I'm out to, to, to legalize psychedelics through, through the FDA or, you know, like it, you know, when you're talking about here's we're looking into novel novel medications for trauma in psychotherapy. That's not that's not controversial. Like 
like that's a very legitimate thing to be looking to to be exploring and if and if a if a medicine with psychedelic properties is the thing that is going to 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 heal that or to treat it okay i mean you could have maybe a a, a psychoactive experience on marinol and that's been fda approved um there are, you know i think you know i'm not if there is stigma I don't care because like look at look at the medicines that have already been approved by the FDA like oxycontin and you know the the range of things that people are getting addicted to um you know we're also seeing for example uh ketamine which is sort of uh helping with the stigma because ketamine is sort of part of the psychedelic conversation um it's considered a psychedelic in in some it's not in some spheres it's not a classic psychedelic like mushrooms but um the fact that there are these ketamine clinics popping up everywhere also to treat you know depression um and other issues i think is again like showing that these medicines really just have very real applications for conditions that so far there are no good options for treating them the medical angle has usually been the most effective way of combating stigma, and the safety and efficacy of psychedelics, especially when done in a clinical setting, should easily be able to demonstrate to skeptics that they are not the big bad monster that people like Richard Nixon and Ronald Reagan told you they were. So we're slowly getting there, but there is still a lot of work to be done before psychedelics are as mainstream and accepted as alcohol or even coffee. Alright, any advice for anyone interested in getting into psychedelics? If they really are curious about psychedelics, um, to to ask themselves why they're curious about them. Like, if you are seeking a psychedelic experience, first of all, like, set an intention. Like, what? why? Like, it, these could be fun, but they're not always fun. So you're going to be going through an experience, like, that might have its ups and downs. And so really be sure, like, what is the purpose of this for you? And then beyond that set set and setting you know like really am I, am I in a good place in my life to deal with what might come up do I have a friend who's going to trips at me um am I going to go camping like do I have the do I have the next day free that like you know if you're especially if you're doing it for the first time you want to make sure you have the time to really integrate so like you might trip on a Saturday and make sure that you have Sunday to just sort of collect your thoughts um so really setting up the container in your life to make sure that it's going to be a positive experience. You know, each issue we sort of do have this 101 content. So like how to get through a bad trip or how to make sense of your last psychedelic experience. Um, our most recent uh, issue has how to choose the right psychedelic for you. So we have, you know, fun little beginner content, I would say. And then also features that get into like, um, you know, the, the latest with the psychedelic policies or, you know, how psychedelics can treat vegetative brain states or, you know, the kind of science-y stuff. Um, but again, our Psychedelics 101 course really is going to be for that that audience who who is really curious and wants to do this and just doesn't even know where to start. Well, knowledge is power, and it's always a good idea to come prepared for such a significant journey that could possibly change the way you look at the world. So if we want to contact Madison, where can we find her? You can reach out to Double Blind um, on uh, Instagram. Like we check all of our messages. That's at Double Blind Mag. Um, we also are on Facebook and Twitter. Um, it's and then also our website is DoubleBlindMag.com. Um, 
me specifically, I'm at Madison Margolin on Instagram and at Margolin Madison on Twitter. Um, so it's just reversed on those two platforms. As fun and eye-opening as this chat was, we now have to bid our guest farewell. Okay, Madison Margolin of Double Blind. That was an absolutely wonderful conversation. Many thanks for discussing all things psychedelics and Third Eye with us. Uh, this is a topic I've been meaning to cover for a while now, uh, and you were just the right person to help with that. So uh, good luck with Double Blind and all the other projects you're involved in, and uh, hopefully we can uh, cross paths again one day, either here on Earth or some more uh, advanced plane of existence. Well, thank you for having me. This was really fun talking to you. That's a wrap for episode 45. Huge thanks once again to Madison Margolin for the third eye opening conversation. I'm feeling enlightened already. If you enjoyed the podcast, feel free to share this episode with like-minded individuals. And if you want to support the podcast in material form, you can go to patreon.com slash criticalgrass to become a member or donate via PayPal on our homepage, www.critical-grass.com. We have a few more guests before we take a little summer break, so please stay tuned. My name, as usual, is Bogdan. Ride the spiral to the end. Peace.